Well, I want to add my thanks and recognition to mothers and really all the women of First Baptist as well. You have all contributed as moms to us, as sisters in Christ, as even grandmothers in Christ to many. I, I tell people all the time, my, my little girl, and I know Nathan would feel the same way, and many others that have young children, our kids have multiple grandparents for good and for at times maybe not so good. Um, but uh, we thank you for the way that you love on our children, the way that you love on us, not just Nathan and I, but how you serve our church well. And so we want to give honor and respect and thanks for that this morning. We hope you have a great day. Um, as has been our custom the last few years, we have, uh, on the behalf of uh, the women of First Baptist Church, and especially on Mother's Day, uh, we have made a contribution to uh, Options for Life um, and uh, have done that uh, in lieu of, of other ways of, of celebrating that. And so know that, uh, know that we, have, we have done that in your honor this morning. Also want to just say welcome to one of our newest visitors, uh, Layton, uh, was born last, last weekend, am I correct on that? When was he born? Last Monday, sorry. And uh, so want to welcome them and uh, certainly excited about that addition. And uh, you'll want to go, uh, go say hi as well after the service, I'm sure. If you would, though, turn in Romans chapter 15. We are going to start in verse 14 this morning as we continue with our look at this wonderful letter. We have uh, two more Sundays before we uh, wrap Romans up. Uh, we certainly could have been there for three years as we've gone through this letter. There is a lot that we have ran through, it feels like, um, in this glorious word of God, but uh, we will be wrapping that up. And then on the 28th, uh, we'll be uh, doing something a little different. Uh, we've done this in the past, but uh, I hope that you'll join us on the 28th. We will all be meeting for Sunday school here in the auditorium, except for our children. Our children will still meet like normal, um, but youth through uh, senior adults uh, will all meet in here. And so uh, Sunday school teachers, you don't have to worry about preparing a lesson this morning. We'll gather together and uh, do that time in here together as we start something new. So I hope that you'll join us for that as well. Romans chapter 15, though, verse 14, Paul is wrapping up. This is kind of, in many ways, his concluding paragraph of the essay that is Romans. And he is kind of giving one final argument, one final push. And as a spoiler, that is, come join. Come join the work of the gospel. And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to, as I said, be in chapter 15, starting in verse 14, reading through the end of the chapter. It says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all, with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, 
by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while." At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we do so knowing with great, great thankfulness and great humility that there are many, that there are many that we can be thankful for who have taken the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the edges of the world so that we could hear it. That there are parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and Sunday school teachers, and deacons, and pastors, and co-workers who have cared enough for us that we may hear of the love of God, that we may have a relationship with you, that we may have the hope of heaven, the hope of resurrection, and a new earth, and a new creation forever and ever Father, I pray that as we are reminded of these things, that we would be encouraged to continue the work, to hold the rope, to share your grace with others, that your kingdom may be expanded, that your name may be glorified forever and ever. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at this passage in chapter 15, we are reminded 
that Paul, as Paul invites us to join in the work of the gospel, that he has set the foundation for that in the first 14 chapters. And so as, as our custom is, when looking at Romans, it's important for us to go back and to review those chapters that we may understand what message it is that we carry to the rest of the world. If we are to go where Jesus' name is not proclaimed, if we are to go where his name is not known, then what message do we carry with us? And so it's important for us to review these things, to stamp them in our hearts so that they are immovable, so that they become so natural to us that they flow off of our tongue and out of our actions. And so as we look at chapters 1 through 14, we start with the understanding, as Paul starts in the first two chapters, that we are all justly convicted and rightly sentenced. That each one of us has committed sin. That each one of us has committed treason against the Most High. That we have all sinned in one way or the other. Whether it is disobeying our parents or whether it is cheating or whether it is something that we would consider bigger uh, as uh, murder or adultery or whether it is one that we are all guilty of which is putting something above Christ in importance that we have, we have brought something higher than he is. And we have sacrificed everything for that. That we have sacrificed our time and our relationships and other things. So that we may have that. That we may in a way worship that. And thus committed idolatry. We are all guilty though. Not one of us can stand before the throne and say otherwise. And because of that, we are rightly sentenced. A guilty person is due a conviction and a sentence. They are due consequence. And the consequence for sinning against a holy God is simply hell. It is separation from God for eternity in a place of torment, away from all his blessings and his provisions. And if that sounds harsh... It is because it's meant to be weighty. It's meant to open our eyes and go, whoa. And yet, Paul continues on with the good news, and this is the message that we proclaim, that though we are all justly convicted and rightly sentenced, that we all have an opportunity to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus, God, came in the flesh to live a perfect life, so that he wasn't, and, he, and it was important that he was perfect so that he was not due a consequence. He didn't have to pay his own debt because there was none. And so instead, he looked at our situation and took our debt. He took our punishment. He took our torture. He took our separation from God upon himself on the cross that he may pay for it in full. And three days later, he rose from the grave victorious, a seal that his sacrifice was worthy and that it was enough. And now he stands before you and I with the gift of salvation, with an opportunity to know God in a personal relationship, to have a hope of heaven, an assurance of heaven and he holds it out before us that those that would have faith in him, that would trust him, that would follow him, would know those things. That they would know salvation. 
And because of that, we rejoice in his plan. We rejoice in his plan that now we are no longer enemies of God, but now that we are his children, that we have peace with him, that we're secure in that grace, that we can never lose it, that we rejoice in our future while also rejoicing in this life. Paul says, because of all of these things, we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Because we were once lost and now have been saved, because now we rejoice over all these things, now we should present our bodies as living sacrifices to say to the holy God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, what would you have to do with me? What would you do with my life? What would you do with my gifts and my talents? What would you do with my time and my words? How would you have me to serve And we've seen different ways that we do this, that we serve not just him, but we serve others, that living sacrifices are transformed to look more like Christ, that living sacrifices act different, specifically against our enemies, that we are to be good citizens, to love others, to wait earnestly for our king, that we are to bear with one another, that we are to rejoice in this life. For the promises that are to come. To rejoice over what he has done. What he is doing. And what he has promised to do in the future. Paul says these are the things that we glorify. And these are the things that we, that we worship. These are the things that we live for. And so as we come to chapter 15. He says okay. Now join me in this work. You have been given this incredible message. Many of you have accepted it and have trusted him with your life and you desire to follow him. Then let's do the work. Join with me. Now it's interesting as we start here, Paul starts by showing you his own work in Christ. How he is involved in this message. How he is involved in this mission, so to speak. He starts by saying that his work in Christ involves spiritual instruction. Going back to chapter 15, starting in 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul starts by saying, part of my obedience, part of the thing that God has called me to is to instruct others that they may be discipled, that they may learn how to live for Christ. And this, in this work that he does, this spiritual instruction, it's interesting that it's not just his job, but notice that he commends the church at Rome that they are able to instruct one another. So this isn't a specific task, but rather this is a general command and a act, general act of obedience that all believers are called to. We look at Matthew chapter 28, the very end as Jesus is leaving his disciples to go back to heaven. And he says this, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Doing what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
So it's not just a command upon Paul's life that he would instruct other believers in spiritual matters, but it is a command to each one of us that each one of us is to go out and to encourage one another, to love on one another, to teach one another. This is the way that God would have us to live and to help one another as we do that. So Paul's saying, there's a general, there's a general command that I'm obeying as I do the work of Christ. But he also shows us that there's a special calling on his life, that there's a specific thing that God has called him to. Going back to verse 16 again, he says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he says that I have this general command of obedience that I would instruct others in spiritual matters, but I also have a special calling on my life to the Gentiles. You'll remember the Gentiles are non-Jewish people. That is, and it's not everyone's calling. We have James, the brother of Jesus, stays back in Jerusalem, and he is a pastor at that church, and he ministers largely to Jewish people. He wasn't called to leave Jerusalem. He was called to stay there and to minister where he was at. Paul says, this, this calling was meant for me. This is my gift. This is how God is leading me. And certainly he wasn't the only one. We see Apollos is doing the same thing. Timothy joins Paul in his journeys to do this very thing. There are others that are involved in this act. But Paul knows that God has put a special calling upon his life and a special gifting in his life to do this. He says, I am meant to go where the name of Jesus is not proclaimed, is not yet known. Not everyone is called to do that. In fact, I, I joke that to do that, to be a missionary in a culture that is not your own, you got to have a screw loose. I literally lost mine. Okay, some of you know the story behind that. But you have to be a little different. Not everyone's programmed that way. And he's pro, but he's programmed you for something. And for Paul, it was this. And so he boasts that he has been given this special ability he, to, to go to the Gentiles beyond just the general obedience that God has called him to. But I want you to notice one other thing, that when Paul speaks of his accomplishments in this area, he does not boast in his own ability. He does not say, look at what I have done Look at what, how clever I am. Look at what a great orator, orator that I am. Look at what a great church planner I am. But rather, what we see again and again is that he is sent and by the power of the Holy Spirit and that it is God who is accomplishing these things through him. Going back to the text, he says that he is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified or made perfect by the Holy Spirit. And he says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. It is not his own. Though Paul has stepped out in obedience, it is not his own power that allows him to accomplish those things. 
there is something else that is doing the work through him. And we, we see this in our own life. I, I think of a climber, and this isn't a, isn't a perfect analogy, but you see a climber and they're, they're repelling, okay? Or not a climber, I guess, a repeller. Someone that is repelling down a cliff, okay? They are not doing that. They had to step out in obedience, right? They had to step off the cliff to make that happen. But once that happens, then there, are, there is a rope. There is a pulley system. There, is, there are different checks and balances that are keeping them from just falling to the ground. They had to step off in obedience, yes. But after that, it's not like they're doing it on their own. They're not levitating to the ground. They're repelling through the system of ropes and, and pulleys and other things. In the same way, God, when God calls us to acts of obedience, he does so expecting us to put our foot forward, but we should understand that it is by his power that we accomplish these things. We're not on our own. Every time I get up on stage to preach, it, if I depend on my own abilities and my own power, my own will, I will fail. The word of God will come up short if I depend upon myself. But it is by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me and through me that he can accomplish things that only he can accomplish. And the same is true for you. The same is true for you. That he has called you to things. That he has gifted you to things. And he is calling you to obedience in those areas. And he will give you the strength and the ability to see them through. So Paul boasts in his work. He talks about what he is doing in Christ. And then he does something else here. He invites the church to join him. You see, Paul does not go out into the world to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ merely on his own volition, but he works in the, uh, or under the umbrella of the local church. You'll remember that it's Antioch. It's the church of Antioch that commissions Paul and sends Paul out into the world that he works under their umbrella, under their authority, as they are under the authority of Christ. And so he is constantly joining with local churches to include them in the work, to be encouraged by them, to encourage them to go out themselves. And so he reminds us that we are one body, one church with one mission. And that mission is to go where the name of Jesus is not. He says there that I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And that thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never, never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. We are to go where the name of Christ is not. We are to be about the mission of, of seeing that everyone has the opportunity to respond to the gospel. We all get included in that mission. Whether we physically go to those places or whether we are called to stay here and hold the rope. We all have a part to play. When I was leaving for Madagascar, one of my extended family members, it wasn't mom, dad, Lisa, but one of my extended family members approached me and said, why are you going so far away when there are people right here that do not know Jesus Christ? How can you go when you know that there are lost here? And my response 
in kindness was I can go because you are here. I can go there to where they do not know the name of Jesus Christ because you are here. Our missionaries, whether they are IMB or ABWE or whether they fall under some other acronym or other name, they can go with confidence to preach the gospel where there is no church, where there is no proclamation of the name of Jesus Christ, with confidence because they leave behind you. And we have a responsibility as we hold on to that rope to proclaim the name of Christ where the name of Jesus is not in the hearts of family members, in the hearts of co-workers, in the the hearts of community members, in the hearts of those that we come into contact with on a regular basis. We have a responsibility to complete this mission here while others go there. We hold on to the rope. We join the mission that way. We also join the mission and hold on to the rope by caring for the church. And here we predominantly think of the global church. You see what he says, that that he has been limited from coming to them because at the present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought to also be able of service to them in material blessings. Paul says to be a part of the mission of the church, to take the name of Jesus Christ to where it has not been heard, it means that we also care for the church. If the church is hurting, then it's going to be difficult for them to do the mission. If the church is, is, is hungry, it's going to be difficult for them to do the mission. If the church has been wounded, it's going to be difficult for them to do the mission. And so we have a responsibility, Paul says, to care for the church, to care for our brothers and sisters all around the world who are going through things that we can only imagine. And to also care for those that are right here in our midst. To care for those that were once our Sunday school teachers. To care for those that were once our bus drivers and those that cooked food for us. That have presented us to the gospel. That now they go through a different stage of life. That we come alongside them to encourage them and to love on them because they blessed us spiritually. Now we, in turn, bless them. How do we do that? How do we do that? There are a myriad of ways, whether it is sitting with them or writing cards or providing other things like transportation at times. How do we do that well? Each one of us has a part in it for sure. So we care for the church. We also encourage one another. Paul says in verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. In other words, he's saying that I won't face persecution 
and that by my, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So we join in this mission as one body of Christ to go where the name of Jesus is not, to care for the church, and to encourage one another. How do we do that? Paul gives us a great hint. He says here, pray for me. We have said this many times over. But the best thing that you can do is pray for one another. So many times we say it in passing, right? We say, well, I'll pray for you or I'll pray about that. And it's just a way to kind of flippantly end the conversation. But do we understand that praying for each other is the most important thing we can do? That Paul's plea here for them to pray for him, he knows that that is the best thing that they can do. You want to know how to love your pastor, how to love your associate pastor, your staff, your deacons, your Sunday school teachers, the people that take care of your kids? You want to know how to love fellow church members? Pray for them. Pray for them. Tell them that you're praying for them. Come alongside them and do it. Say, pull them off to the side. Grab them during the service or before or after Go, friend, brother, sister, I know that you're going through this. I want to pray with you. It is the best thing that we can do for one another. It's why on Wednesday nights we set aside a time to do that. It's why on Wednesdays from noon to one we have a time when we can gather together as brothers and sisters dedicated to prayer. It's a come and go thing. It's why we have a, a prayer guide that sits out in our lobby and we encourage you to take one and, and to contribute to it. There are times that we need to have others pray for us that we would say, hey, this is what the season of life that I'm going through. And those can be highs and those can be lows. So we encourage one another through prayer. We encourage one another through encouragement, obviously, that we just say the words that we say. And we do it through hospitality. He says here, so that God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. One way that we encourage one another is through fellowship. Just gathering together with one another, reminding us that we are not alone, that we walk in this mission together, shoulder to shoulder, one in front of the other, that we may go out into a world that needs Christ as one. That when we suffer, that we don't suffer alone. That when we rejoice, we don't rejoice alone. That we do those things together. And that means we fellowship. That means we show hospitality. That's the reason that one of those tags was fun. Oh, that the, the world would see us as more than just a group that gathers on Sunday. As a bunch of, of sag, sad wet sacks on the side of a sidewalk, but they would see us as a people that enjoy life to the fullest because of what he has done for us. That we would refresh one another by our presence with one another, by our hospitality towards one another, by our love for one another, by our prayer for one another. We do this as one church with one mission. But we also do it by each of us doing our part. By each of us doing our part. 
We've already seen in the book of Romans that Paul addresses the church as a body with different body parts, each doing their own thing, each accomplishing the will of the head, Jesus Christ, but all working together, but not necessarily having the same function, that the heart doesn't have the same function as the stomach, the stomach doesn't have the same function as the liver, the liver doesn't have the same function as the muscle, the muscle doesn't have the same function as the vein, and on and on and on. But we do it together. Each of us has been given a general call. We all look at this word together and must obey it. The, the word to encourage one another is for all of us. The word to show hospitality is for all of us. The word to share the name of Jesus Christ is for all of us. We have some general calls in our life that we are all to do, to take part of. And if just a few of us are doing it, then we limit the ability of the body. We limit the ability of the church to fulfill the mission. At the same time, we all have specific tasks. Just as Paul had a specific task, you have a specific task. God has given you a passion. He has given you a job. He has given you a gift, a talent, a time, a resource. He has put things into your life with the intention of them you using them inside of the church for the benefit of the mission and for other church members. The question is, is, are you doing that? Are you doing that? Can you say that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is using me in the body, that I may encourage others, that I may help hold the rope, that we can complete this mission. God has not put you here by accident, friend. He has not put you here that you may merely consume music and a message on Sunday morning. He has put you in this place with this body of people, with this mission, with your gifts, so that you may join in. But again, we don't do it alone. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it because he lives in us. There are times, even in our giftings, even in our passions, that we're like, man, I'm, I'm scared to do that. I'm scared to step out. I'm scared to accomplish that. I'm, I'm worried that that's not going to work out. I'm worried that I'm not going to do well enough or that I'm somehow going to fail at that, that I'm going to disappoint somebody or I'm going to embarrass somebody. And the Spirit comes alongside of us and he fills us with the courage that we need. He fills us with the boldness that we need. He allows us to do things beyond our own ability at times. There are, there are times even uh, as we talk about giftings and, and passions, there are times that he calls us to do things that we don't think we can do. That he calls us to do things like take care of children or teach a Sunday school class that at first we look at it and we're intimidated by it. We think there's no way. I can't do that. And we, but when we take a step of obedience, we realize, oh, wait, he has allowed me to do this. Oh, wait, he does help me through this. Oh, wait, this is a joy. This is a, a pleasure as we see God work through our lives, even in those things that we didn't think we could do at first. 
We each hold the rope, but we have to hold it together. We have to hold it together. We, we can't do it, just a few of us. Otherwise, we get tired quicker, we wear out faster, the rope begins to slip through our hands, we get rope burn, <laughs> we have to walk away for a minute. Be... We have to do it together. It can't just be your pastor. It can't just be your Sunday school teachers. It can't be just a few. We need all of you. If we as a church desire to see the mission happen, we desire for these baptismal waters to be full and to be used. We desire to see God do amazing things that only he can do in our lives. If we desire to see disciples made and for each of us to grow closer to him and more in his image, then we cannot do that just a few. We need all of you. Every single one. We have to do this together. Paul invites us. The Word of God invites us to see the grand mission of the gospel, to understand that we have been given this great gift to be involved in the work of God that everyone may know the name of Jesus Christ. We have before us that invitation. The question now is, will we accept it? One of the one of the great sorrows, I think, of our time is that 2,000 years later, after the death of Christ, that there are those in the world who do not have an opportunity to hear the gospel clearly. And I'm a firm believer it's in part because there are times that we have not all pitched in. Because we have all not done our part. And we have allowed it to slip through our hands. Brothers and sisters, there are those in our community that have not heard the gospel clearly. Let it not be said of us that we let the rope slip through our hands. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back and for us to have a time of response. Maybe this morning you're a believer and you, have, you know God is pushing on you right now. And he's saying, join, get involved. You have gifts and talents. You have things that I've given you. It's time for you to be active. And you would just make the commitment this morning. Wherever you lead, I will go. Maybe he's calling you to something far more drastic than that, far different than that. Will you say, wherever you lead, I will go. Maybe this morning you have been visiting with us for a long time. And this morning you would say, hey, I want to be a part of that work. I want to be a part of this family. I want, to, I want to use my gifts and talents here. Will you answer the call wherever he leads, I go. Maybe this morning you have never had a relationship with him. And this morning you hear truly for the first time, I have made mistakes. There are consequences for those mistakes, but he offers forgiveness. He offers life. And you would say, I want that this morning. Will you come to him this morning in repentance to say, I am sorry 
Please forgive me. I want to follow you. Will you know life? Will you commit and say, wherever he leads, I will go. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you this morning and we are thankful again that you saw fit to work through others. That you saw fit to work through local churches all over the globe throughout the centuries, that the gospel may come here in this time and in this place, that we may have the opportunity to hear it, that we may have the opportunity to respond, that we may have the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom and the church, that we may know that our sins are forgiven and that we have life eternal awaiting us, that we may share in the power of your resurrection. We are thankful that we have the opportunity to serve you to let others know that they can have the same assurance, the same life, the same joy. Father, I pray this morning that we would grab hold of the rope. That we as church members, as those that have been saved by Jesus Christ and placed here and now and this place and this time, would grab hold of the rope to do our part. That together we may see Incredible things happen by your leading, your guiding, and your spirit. Father, thank you. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.